Corinthians chapter 12. And we've been on a bit of a journey here through the book of 1 Corinthians. And we're in chapter 12, verses 14 to 31. <clears throat> and the message here is this, mor this morning is pretty straightforward uh, from, from Paul Church. You are the body of Christ. Uh, you are one in the body of Christ. And in fact, you are one body. And that's what he started think, talking about in the previous verses. He gives an image that's pretty easy for each of us to understand because you all have bodies. I see you this morning. You are bodies. So immediate application point. You know, sometimes some of us, if you're not familiar with the Bible, it can feel like it doesn't really apply or it's confusing. And, and it can be. But Paul makes this very, very clear statement. The church is like a body. That's something we can all relate to in more ways than one. We know we're a composite whole, so this kind of message Paul has for us ought to encourage us to think about how we are connected. We are one. We are a unit, a whole. But at the same time, a body has different parts, and each one of those parts matters. So we're going to look at what Paul how Paul impacts that just a little bit. This week, really for the past two weeks, I've been hitting unsubscribe. Does anybody ever do that? From time to time, I mean, it's just unbelievable. And I have email messages coming in. Usually I just delete, delete, delete. But from years ago, I maybe looked at a website, bought a product, something, and they just circle back around. It keeps coming. And I'm, I'm determined to get down to just the bare necessities. Uh, but these, these things keep coming in. And I don't know how you manage your inbox if you have email and you just slide those things and they go to clutter or, or junk, junk. I like having a very clean inbox. It's just how I'm wired. So I spend, it feels like, as much time going through the clutter as I do the things that really matter the most to me. And, and what's interesting is when I think about last week's message, if you were here with Pastor Robinson, he said, you know, we're just, we're losing our minds. He was encouraging us then to think about the things that really matter the most and not be consumed with the things that don't matter. And I carried that into my week when I was hitting unsubscribe the entire time. I'm thinking, I want to focus on the things that matter. There's so much that doesn't. It occupies so much of my time. And it's hard work initially, to get to the point where, and you need monitoring along the way, you're getting to the stuff that really matters. Now, for me, that's what I feel like Sunday mornings ought to be like. It's like we're remembering the stuff that matters. It's not that you're unsubscribing to everything Monday through Saturday. Obviously, we take our faith there, but there's a lot of stuff that comes in, and we kind of reorient ourselves and say, this is what matters, and then we work hard throughout the week to continue remembering that reality for ourselves. When Paul writes to this group of believers, fairly new people who profess faith in Christ, working in a culture where a lot of the stuff that was consuming them was stuff that just didn't seem to matter. He's trying to tell them, this is what matters. Focus on this. And if you unpack that in its beauty, that's really the pathway to thriving and to being who God has made you to be. That's what I think we're doing here on a weekly basis. And Paul here then has this picture of something that matters to us. It ought to matter. We are one body. And each part matters as well. Do you hear that, Jay? Do you know why it's happening? Oh. Oh. This? 
I've done all I know to do. So what does that part back there say I should do? You're, you're the AV part of the body this morning. Should, that didn't happen last week. Is it me? Oh, it's not me. Okay, good. Okay, so, by the way, did anybody watch the game last night, the San Diego State game? A couple of you did, too. For those of you who are unfamiliar with it, there's something called March Madness. This is a very American thing. It's a very sports thing, too. Uh, as well, and, and a team that wasn't supposed to go very far, you know, ranked number five, actually beat a number nine, but our uh, niece is a cheerleader for San Diego State, which is fun inside the family, and it actually does have relevance to the message. <laughs> it actually really, really does. As we start unpacking this, I was thinking of teams. If you're not a team sport person, that's, that's okay. Take my word for it. Um, if, if you have a basketball team, there's five players, and there's a bench, as well. And although you may have one star player, he's not going to be able to win the game without the other four supporting people around him. And he might be the person who has all the stats, but he couldn't be there without the others. Okay? That's, that's exactly what the church is like as well. Of course, Paul wasn't playing basketball as far as I'm aware. But he does understand, and we all do, that this imagery of body. So let's unpack this. And I think just for this morning, we'll kind of take a couple of verses at a time, and I'll, I'll read these, and then we'll discuss them together. Now, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, this is verse 14 and the 15, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. Okay, so basketball imagery again, too. Because I'm not a shooting guard, I'm not part of the team. That's not true. We can think the same thing as well. And so what Paul's trying to show us, as I've said here on this first point, we all belong, even if we don't think or feel like we do. Now, I think that actually right there, you could spend the entire time talking about it. We have, we have a desire to belong. Just look at almost anything, either club um, sports related to, that doesn't matter, uh, peer pressure. It's all a longing inside of us to be attached to something. And Paul is saying, if you are a part of the church, you belong. No matter who you are, how little you think of yourself or even how high, although if you're in the first part, you need to raise your view, and the second, you need to lower it a little bit, you still belong every single one of us, that addresses a fundamental human need, which is belonging. How do you get into this body of Christ? Is it the kind of thing where you qualify because you've done enough good works along the way, and all of a sudden, you're like, you're accumulating things, and you're in this Sunday. And then, you know, the week you have a bad week, and you're out. Or something. How, how, what's the entry point? Paul's already talked about this. Actually, if you go back uh, at the very, very beginning of this, this book, Paul makes it clear. Uh, look at 
1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse, verse 2, to the church of God in Corinth. He's talking to the church. Church, you're one body. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Your entry point is through Christ into this body. He's the one who made you worthy. Okay, what's, how do I get into this, this club, as it were? Well, all you need is belief in Christ. He's the one who's done all the work. His resume is the one that you bring to the table. Because Paul says not many of you were much by human standards. You know, it's, but God chose the foolish things to shame the wise as well. The entry point here, and he says this more. Look at chapter 1, verse 9. God, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. God called you. Christ sanctified you. And so when he comes to these people, he says, I'm not doing this in my own power. It's not because I'm wise. I'm preaching the gospel, which is it's all about God bringing people to himself. That's how Paul started as well. You're familiar with his journey. He hated Christians, despised them, got knocked off his horse, was blinded by Christ. <clears throat> and then Christ called him to serve him. That was his entry point. It's not like he was super good and then got in. He was pretty bad. <clears throat> in fact, he was persecuting the very people who Christ said, they're my body. They're members of me. Why are you persecuting me, Jesus said to Paul. Who was, who was Paul persecuting? Literally Jesus? No, his people. That's how closely Christ identifies with his people. You are united into the body of Christ. In verse 30, chapter 1, it's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. And, and you could go all, all throughout this, and this is part of what he's been unpacking. This is the beauty of the body of Christ. None, none of us here deserves this. Not any one of us who come to the doors and said, I'm a Christian today. It, not any of you is it because of you. It's because of God. That's, that's why. So what ground do you have to stand on to say, hey, look at me in the body of Christ. I'm a pretty sweet point guard. <clears throat> you know, churches and ministries do this all the time. And, and so do we. We find value in the measurables. But the only thing that matters is your faith in Christ. That's the great leveling ground. And if you start there, then this imagery that Paul is bringing home actually has a little more bite to it. But the point he makes is, you all belong. Even if you don't think so. If you have professed faith in Christ, if you understand that the only hope that you have is the Savior that we sang about earlier, you belong. You belong. And if you long and crave for that, but you don't know it, the entry point's pretty simple. It's a simple yes. And if you don't have that yes in mind yet, too, then ask God. Say, God, stir in me. I want to know what's true, a desire. To know if these things are true, you're welcome. You can, you can belong here before you believe. That seemed to happen a lot to Jesus' disciples. They thought they belonged because they believed, and then all of a sudden he says, how come you don't believe? See, it's a, it's a journey of sorts, but the, the very simple yes, that's the entry into the body of Christ, what he has done. We have the picture of it here in the Lord's Supper. Even if you don't think or feel like you belong, here's the proof you do. 
because his body was given for you. His blood was shed for you. And the for you as a son or a daughter is just saying, yes, that's the entry point. And guess what? You belong to this body of Christ, which can be awesome. And as we've said in our sermon series, very messy. Very messy. If the entry point is a bunch of people who are a mess, recognizing they are, then what do you expect? We're all messy. And it's not, as Paul has said, an excuse to continue just lollygagging around in our mess. We're aiming together as a body to be who God's called us to be. But we have the freedom then to fail along the way. This is why we need Christ. This is why we need each other. This is why we need people who've gone before us, bigger than just even the local body, but certainly including that as well. We all belong, even if we don't think or feel like we do. That's where Paul starts. And then he gives, in the next verses, some, some more insights to what it means to be one body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. So Paul is effectively reminding us that each part of the body is distinctive and necessary. Each part of the body is distinctive and necessary. You ever played that would-you-rather game? You feel like you could do that. Would you rather be an ear, just like all ear, or all eye? Which would you prefer? Would you rather only have, you know, or would you rather have hearing but no sight or a sight? And, I mean, well, those are interesting games, but of course, we don't want to be just one ear. We want to have it, we want to have it all, we want all the senses. We realize if we don't have all the senses, something is... Something's broken. Something's not working properly. And so Paul wants that same image for us of the body. Some of us, you know, might have the function in the body of Christ, kind of like an eye, and you just want to spend your time being an ear. Nobody can't have all the ears and eyes. It takes all of us. Each part is distinctive. Each part is necessary. And God has arranged us differently, just as he wants I mean, that's what Paul says. God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. This is not a mistake. You know, you, you, you are not a mistake. <laughs> who you are is who God wants you to be in your giftings. And we saw that he has given each one of us a spiritual gift and many talents as well that can be used for his glory. That's God's design. Now, look, if you don't like it, I get that. We spend a lot of time wishing maybe we were something else. Here's the freedom, too, is be honest with God about it. I mean, he can take it. You say, I have, I'm struggling with, with who I am or where I fit. Perhaps that's the entry point as well to being able to say, I realize that's okay eventually. I'm distinct, and I am actually necessary. We, we said this last week, the body needs you. You need the body, and the body needs you. That's what Paul is saying on the whole. Each part distinctive and necessary. And if you feel like maybe you're one of those people who doesn't matter that much, Paul addresses that in the next few verses. In verse 21, he says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. 
And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. So Paul is saying, look, each part needs the other. And in fact, the weaker parts are indispensable. So here again, he's saying, look, there's no room for superiority. There's no room for a sense of I am all that and I'm better than you are. There's no room for that. And in fact, he says, and some commentators argue he's switching to a clothing imagery, a clothing body imagery, that the, the, the parts that you think are not that important, you cover up because they are important. <laughs> you treat them with special honor. So, you know, the, the face, the head, whatever, it's not, it's not covered up. But these other parts that get cold, we, we cover them, they're treated with special honor because they matter. We need those parts. Each part's significant. And the weaker parts, indispensable. They need to be covered and protected. So you can't say to anybody else in the body of Christ, I don't need you. And in fact, what I love about the previous passage, uh, just, just to look back up for a second, if you were here the last time we looked at this, in verse 12, the body is a unit. Though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. So here he's, he's recognizing that we need each other, even with this imagery of ethnicity, Jewish and Gentile, the two categories that existed back then, Jew and everybody else. We are baptized into the same spirit. Slave or free, it doesn't matter. Jews or Greeks, it doesn't matter. One body, many parts. And those parts then, well, no one part's more important fundamentally than the other. We need each other. In fact, I am deficient without you. And that's, that's a good instruction for the church in general. There's no sense of superiority, no, no favoritism. We all know how we started this journey. Why would we think we're better anywhere along the way? To the extent that we do, and when God roots that out, then we're ceasing to be the body of Christ. He goes on to say, in the next part, but God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. In other words, each part is deeply interconnected. I mean, that's pretty obvious. This is a very organic picture of what it means to be the body of Christ. We are deeply intertwined with each other. So much so that if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it as well. Part of that, it seems to me, is if, let's say that you don't call yourself a follower of Christ, you're not a part of the body, and somebody inside the, the body, say a pastor or something, commits some sort of sin that's very public, and this happens all the time, you know, that sometimes people who are from the outside, as it were, looking in, look at that one thing and say, aha, that's what I told you. That's what the church is about. See, there's one part of the body 
that has done something, and it's assigned to the whole. This is when we were talking about deconstruction, for example, a couple of weeks ago. I think that's part of what's happening here. There's, there's one part, maybe, that is being assigned to the whole, and so you say, aha, the whole is like that. No wonder. I'm not going to be part of that. And that's actually one of the reasons why it seems to me Paul and others, you know, are pretty, say, pretty cautious about, you really probably shouldn't, shouldn't run quickly to being a teacher. You have a certain accountability that's this kind of thing, a public presence, that when you fall, then the whole body is maligned. I am, as I've said before, quite pleased many times with my anonymity and obscurity. You know, the, the one person listening online right now is, is a little, you know, when I say something or, or make a mistake, a little more generosity when nobody cares. It doesn't give me a, a license to do whatever I want, nor, nor should I long, not, you know, to, I want to teach as many people as possible. But I feel the weight and the responsibility when my integrity doesn't match up with what I say. And I think each one of us should feel that. You are part of the body. You are a representative part of the body wherever you go. In your neighborhood, in your school, in your place of employment, in your family. And so we can rejoice when, when, when there's, there's news of how that, that witness has wooed somebody into the kingdom and we can feel sorrow when the opposite occurs. And that, that's one piece of it. But there's another piece of this as well, the, the intimate connection of, of the body. And we, we have a limited capacity as humans. We can't mourn for everything all the time. We would just be in a pool of water in, in front of us too. But, but sometimes when it gets closer to us, we, even if we're not directly affected because of this organic connection, we mourn and we're sad about that. I mean, I don't think anybody here is unaware of what happened in Nashville with the school shooting this week. That happened to be a Presbyterian Church in America congregation. So we're part of the PCA. This, this happened within our own uh, small group of uh, churches, too. And so I know people who knew those people and that kind of thing, too. And my own connections kind of blow up with uh, news stories and and prayers and this kind of thing as well. And even if I don't know them directly, it's close enough that this causes us all to reflect both nationally but a little bit more closely the closer it gets to you as well. And one part suffers, the entire body suffers. So there's lamenting this week. Nationally, there's lamenting, isn't there? Whether you're a part of the body or not, but I think even more profoundly so if you are. It just drives a little bit more deeply home, and it, it hurts. It's sad, uh, and we mourn, we lament, because there's a deep sense of interconnectedness there. I wanted to put up on, on here a portion of a prayer that was written by a staff member of Christ Presbyterian Church, Melanie Rayner, on the, the day and the evening after that happened, uh, just to give you a little sense of how one part of the body is suffering. She writes, Nashville is a city of sounds. The soul of our city is written in keys and chords and words. And Covenant is a church of music, a church of beauty. She is the bride of Christ, 
a refuge for the weary, a gift to our city, a city of sound and a church that echoes heaven. We praise you for covenant. We grieve for our friends. We grieve for your people. Lord, hear our prayer. God, we ask you not to dry our tears, but to increase them. Let us feel what we are afraid to feel today. Let us face the worst of the world with hearts that are deeply engaged in love, in hope, in pain. Let us be not only the hands and feet of Jesus today, but the love and compassion and merciful tears of a Savior who cried for his friends when death came to Lazarus. Lord, hear our prayer. For the children, God, for their parents, for their friends, be near in the ways only you can. Lord, hear our prayer. You are a God who promises justice like a river. God, let it be swift. You are a God who promises peace beyond understanding. God, show, us, show it to us now. You are a God who promises to bind up our sorrows. God, wrap us in your love now. You are a God who promises to heal our wounds. God, heal us now. You are a God who saves our crushed spirits. God, save us now. You are a God who promises to go before us. God, go before us now. You are a God who holds all things together. God, help us trust you. You are a God who promises there will be no more tears, no more death, no more crying. God, let it be true. Lord, hear our prayer. One part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. And Paul wants this imagery of the body of Christ to connect us in, in such a way that we see no separation, and yet we value the individual pieces at the same time. He concludes by saying that you are, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church, God has appointed, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and workers of miracles. Also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? And the implied answer is no. But eagerly desire the greater gifts. And now I will show you the most excellent way. If you're interested in the most excellent way, you've got to come back in two weeks. <laughs> Next week is Easter, but he's going to start saying, look, none of this really matters if your motive isn't right, if it's not driven by, by love. But for now, he says there are these pictures of realities, and, and there's a sequencing here as well, it seems. But what he's, what he's saying on the fundamental message side of things is that you need to receive your gift, you need to use your gift, and you need to desire gifts that benefit the church as a whole. God has orchestrated these things. You're the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part. And here's what God has done. He's appointed these things. Some say that's sequential in terms of time. First, he's given apostles and then prophets and then teachers, perhaps. But with the idea of, of desiring certain gifts, it seems like the desire is for gifts that more immediately edify the church. Each part necessary. But there are, there are pieces of that that do edify the church in a distinctive sort of way. Now look, change from basketball to football. And if any of you watch, watch football or like football, I'm talking the American side of things here again as well. Um, 
What would you say the most important position is in football? Quarterback. You didn't say cornerback, right? You said quarterback. Yeah, everybody said quarterback. Quarterback. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you. I mean, quarterback. So the quarterback is very important. You build a team around a quarterback. You find somebody who's, who's got the right skill set, the, the right leadership, and, and you, can, you can build a team around them. What's the second most important position? Oh, you guys are all wrong. <laughs> a little bit more of a debate. Uh, running back, I heard you. Who do you defense? That wide receiver? Oh, okay. The center. Ooh, nice. Left tackle. Oh, the blind side. Okay. So, look, in the NFL, there is first quarterbacks. And then we don't know what happens after that. Obviously, there's a reason for debate. But if a quarterback can't play the game on his own, what if he has no offensive line? What if you, what if you put, pick the five uh, most athletic individuals here in, in right now? In fact, forget about that. The five, five least athletic Individuals put them out, just threw a, threw a helmet on you, and said, now block for Joe Burrow. There's somebody like that, too. That's Cincinnati. Oh, I've just described Cincinnati. Okay. <laughs> Fantastic. Wow. Well, if we put a row of offensive linemen here, I'm not sure you'd say that necessarily. But So the imagery there, obviously, is there's a quarterback. He's pretty important. So in a sense, God gave the apostles, these, these 12, and, and the plus one who, who did have a significant start. In fact, they saw the risen Christ. They were called directly by him. They, they, uh, they were shepherded by Christ and then told. And, and then you got the prophets and teachers. So there's a sense in which, yeah, they have a particular role that is significant. And yet, what Paul's trying to say is, as much as we honor them, you matter as much as they do in the kingdom of God. Even if there is some sort of sequential uh, event happening there, or even gift mix that serves a particular function. This is a little bit like even when we were talking about men and women a few weeks ago, too. There's, it doesn't have value, dignity. There's a, there's a function. There's a, there's a role purpose here. And in fact, it doesn't matter if you're the best quarterback in the world, if you're doing it for the wrong reasons. It doesn't matter. Or the most obscure person on the field, if you're doing it for the right, you matter the most because you've got the right motive. That's what he's going to begin to unpack. But you do, each one of you, although you may not be an apostle, prophet, or a teacher, he goes on with some other gifts that he lists. And again, it's not exhaustive. It's different than the previous list. It's different than the list in Peter. And so you've got a gift. In fact, what he said before is each one of you, if you're in Christ, you're part of the church, you have a unique spiritual gift that God's given you, that you are to contribute for the common good. So receive that. This is what God has given. And then use that gift Whatever it is, you can desire greater gifts. Apparently, that's, that's a thing you can do. But God's given you the one you've been given for a reason, which begs the question, if you call yourself a part of the church, are you doing that? Are you receiving and using the gift that God has given you? Because if you're not, then you're not functioning the way God has given you. And it actually is a detriment to the body. I know the women's ministry team had a, a meeting and we're going through spiritual gifts and trying to say, okay, what is my gift and how do I use it in this local context? 
There's sort of this concentric circle. There's Redeemer Church. We're small. God has gifted us specifically, and then maybe a bigger, broader one, and Mason, Cincinnati, the United States, and the world. And you can use those gifts in all kinds of ways, but you at least have to start here because this is, this is where you gather. This is, this is what God has done. It's called us together to serve him and to serve one another. You are one body. So you need to leverage that here in our context. If you didn't get it, on the way out, you can grab this, um, this spiritual gifts test. And this, this will define the spiritual gifts. It's written by Walter Wood, who is uh, the senior pastor of the church that we were birthed out of. And an assessment that you can take. Who doesn't want to do something like this? This is so fun. <laughs> but then the next step you do is you say, okay, where do I do that here? How do I, how do I, and if you, if you don't know, let's talk about it, because we might have to figure that out. We don't have a little chart that says, if you've got this, this is exactly where you serve in Redeemer. I'm looking for somebody administrative to do that, because my gift is not administration, you see. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? Seriously. Does anybody want to take all the spiritual gifts here and think of every single possible way to serve a Redeemer? I'm serious. Come let me know. We'll try to figure it out. Why not? If that's your, it's not my gift. I'm telling you right now. It's not. But it might be yours. And you can find out by taking the spiritual gifts test. If, 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 that's, you know, if those run out, just let me know. We'll, we'll print some more. But the point is here, you've got to receive, use, and desire your gifts for the common good and the benefit of the church. And let's start doing that here. This, this is where I think we really begin to thrive. When we figure that out, God has given you as a gift to the church, not just out there somewhere, but right here. So come on, let's bring it. Let's do it. Let's get this together. You know, we're, we're a team, as it, as it were. Each, each part is necessary. Even the people who call themselves the scrubs, which I largely was in basketball too, they got to come in to let somebody who's a star rest. The minutes played is not every single minute possible for everybody. People need rest. So if you're a scrub, you're important. Hopefully that's what you're. A scrub, by the way, is somebody who doesn't start, kind of comes off the bench, does a couple things and goes back and cheers for everybody who's, <laughs> who's out there playing as well. You're important too. And you are me and I am you. I want to end with this, this quote and then we'll turn to communion that uh, Jared and I both read because a friend of ours, Alvin Sanders, posted it. It's not by him. It's by a, a man named Oscar Romero. But it seemed very fitting because part of this whole imagery here is the local body of Christ, and yet that was a church in Corinth, so it was really a city. And yet Paul's writing not just to the church in Corinth, but to the church universal. I mean, these words written to Corinth were presuming written to us thousands of years later as well. That's part of how God's word, word, word operates. So there's this kind of sense in which we are a local body, but we're attached to something much bigger than just this local body. And when we think about ourselves being the bride of Christ or the church. And I think this is a fitting, fitting kind of parting, parting shot to go with. He's talking about the perspective we have on ministry, and he says it helps now and then to step back and take the long view. The kingdom is not only beyond our efforts, it is beyond our vision. We accomplish in our lifetime only a tiny fraction of the magnificent enterprise that is the Lord's work. 
Nothing we do is complete, which is another way of saying that the kingdom always lies beyond us. No sermon says all that should be said. No prayer fully expresses our faith. No confession brings perfection. No pastoral visit brings wholeness. No program accomplishes the church's mission. No set of goals and objectives includes everything. And that is what we are about. We plant the seeds that one day will grow. We water seeds already planted, knowing that they hold future promise. We lay foundations that will need further development. We provide yeast that affects far beyond our capabilities. We cannot do everything, and there is a sense of liberation in realizing that. This enables us to do something and to do it very, very well. It may be incomplete, but it is a beginning, a step along the way, an opportunity for the Lord's grace to enter and do the rest. We may never see the end results, but that is the difference between the master builder and the worker. We are workers, not master builders, ministers, not messiahs. We are prophets of a future that is not our own. This enables us, he says, to do something and to do it very, very well. When I think of this imagery of the body of Christ, I think the opportunity is for us to sign. Where, what are we doing? What is it God's called me to do right now in my space and to do it well? And then it also, it, so it gives value to that, but it also reminds you that you are just one part of a big, big body, not only here locally, but universally throughout all time as well. So it fosters a sense of humility as well as a sense of um, uh, excitement about what's your role in that. That's part of what it means, it seems to me, to be one body in Christ. Father, we pray this morning. I know not many of us feel like quarterbacks or point guards or starters. Doesn't matter. You have gifted every single one of us for a specific purpose. Where we live is no mistake. The family we're in is no mistake. The school we go to is no mistake. Being here this morning is no mistake. You are calling us, if we're members of the Bride of Christ, to say, where have you gifted us? How do we receive and use that gift for the benefit of the church? And some of us just don't know. So we're open to an exploration process, for sure, but not just for the sake of knowing ourselves better, so that we can serve the bride to which you've called us. And maybe some of us don't even put ourselves yet in that category as members of the church. I pray that the beauty of this would be, uh, would be obvious and that you would open the eyes too for those who, who are, are looking at this bride and saying, what a mess. We say, yes, we are a mess. We have a beautiful savior though. And he calls us to be the ones who follow and pursue after him. The only reason that we can say we're Christians is because God's spirit has drawn us to himself and Christ has sacrificed himself for us and God the Father has set his love on us and we respond in kind. That is a great leveling ground. And if we forget that, we celebrate the Lord's Supper to remind ourselves both of the fact that Christ came, we proclaim his death, that he died, that our status before you as sons and daughters isn't because of what we've done, it's because of what he did. We remind ourselves of that. And if we feel like we don't belong, this table reminds us we do. So please, Lord, search us, know us, try us, and remind us, too, of the beauty of the body of Christ. We long to partake in this, this supper that reminds us we are one loaf 
make together. We're one body with many parts. And that the reason we can do this is because Christ himself gave his body for us, quite literally, so that we could know that we are one in him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.